Hello and welcome to the First Rule of Film Club. I'm Hannah. I'm Eddie. And I'm Alex. And each week we come together to watch a film, have a chat about it, and sometimes play a little game. However, there's no game this week because next week we have a very special bonus episode all based around a particular question on film. What question is that? The question is, what critically acclaimed or generally popular film do you hate? What film do you hate that everyone else bloody loves? So tune in next week to hear our thoughts on that and also some listener suggestions that we got on Instagram. And let me just say, some people have very passionate opinions about the films that they hate. I think we're all maybe going to get a little bit mental uh, when it comes to that. <laughs> which, yeah. is, which is on in, in keeping with the, uh, the theme of this week's film, actually. And what is this week's film? This week's film is The Lighthouse. Mm. What was that about? Uh, so, the plot of The Lighthouse is, two lighthouse keepers try to maintain their sanity whilst living on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s. Mm. Oh, sounds gripping. So if you don't want any spoilers for this film, stop listening now. If you want to know whether they actually succeed in maintaining their sanity, just stop listening right now because we're going to spoil <laughs> Because we can tell you <laughs> they don't. <laughs> yeah. there you go, spoiler alert, shit hits the fan quite early on in this film. Yeah. So what did you guys think of it? Well, I thought it was a bit odd. Afterwards, we saw some family friends and they we said that we'd watched The Lighthouse. And they said, oh, what did you think? And Eddie said, oh, yeah, it was really good. And I said, it was just bizarre. Yeah. So I think that kind of shows the two range of emotions. Yeah. I, I thought it was weird, but I, I absolutely loved it. Like, I really, really liked it. It was just strange and bizarre and it looked beautiful. Like, I just thought, like, every shot... It was one of those films where you could kind of, you know, pause it at any point and, like, any screen grab could be like a, easily be like a poster that you could put on your wall. Yeah, very true. I um, sat in a dark room, obviously, and watched this on my own, but periodically people from my house walked in (laughs) and experienced snippets of the movie with me, and they all thought that I had gone crazy because I was sitting there watching the whole thing. (laughs) It's not the sort of film you you want people to kind of pop in for, because you don't know what's going to come next. Like, one minute, Robert Pattinson is, like, fapping off to, like, a... (laughs) statuette of a mermaid like it's one of those things where it's like there's a scene like that on and you think oh god please don't let anyone come in now because yeah, i can't explain this like out of context it's so true because at the beginning when robert pattinson was doing a bunch of work mm. uh, or winslow to use the character's name i suppose when he was doing loads of work at the beginning i thought uh this might be quite boring actually if it's just going to be loads of them like trudging around the island and stuff but then there was a turning point about half an hour in where it all just went completely mental well I thought, I don't know, cause, yeah, the first half an hour, not much happens, but I, at no point did I feel like it was slow. Like, it was one of those things where I, I kind of wanted it to take its time. I, I wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, God, something happened. I want murder. I just... We know by this time that you don't think any film is slow. <laughs> <laughs> I think, to be fair, like, I've kind of trained myself, like, over the years that, like, you know, I've watched, like, four or five-hour films now, like, with really, like, weird art house ones. So it's kind of like I've, I've taught myself to just, you know, have patience. Yeah, I agree with you that maybe slow is like an offensive word to use, but this film is definitely not fast. I think it's like a real slow burner if you like, if you want to add another word. Mm. I think that bit at the beginning, which is more of a slow burn, they did that intentionally to make it feel old-fashioned because there's lots of other devices they're using, like the black and white and the aspect ratio and the editing style feels like it was literally cut together with scissors. And I suppose the slowness comes with that. Like, there aren't going to be fast cuts because they don't want you to feel like it was made on iMovie or Final Cut or something. Um, but 
I'm glad that it picked up the pace a little bit quite early on rather than just staying in that lane. Mm. But I found it quite hypnotic at the beginning. Like it was a bit like Taxi Driver, where like you know it's, it's got this kind of weird music in the background, like the brom brom of like the kind of foghorns and stuff, and like so the weird editing and the kind of the gentle pace of them kind of arriving on the island, and it all seems a bit weird, but you don't quite know how yet. And it kind of, I don't know, it's kind of a, it felt for me like that feeling of kind of when you're falling asleep and kind of going into a dream and you kind of, you know, things are going to get weird, but mm. for the time being, you just slowly kind of like sort of lapsing into this strange world. And the, I like that. The music really helps to make you feel like you're going insane in that sense, because they have the foghorns. There's not really any actual score, if you like, in terms of melodic music, but there's a lot of creaking of floorboards or siren songs turning into kind of atmospheric stuff or like the ticking of the clock and there's a point when he actually punches the clock and I was like thank god because the ticking was driving me crazy too (laughs) (laughs) okay so I wrote a little note as I was as I was watching the movie wow so professional it just says (laughs) thank you just says here help me (laughs) it's like gaslighting the movie yeah yeah because it is it is basically just a whole movie based on gaslighting which is essentially like the slow altering of something so that you think you're going crazy and everyone else is just acting like it's normal and there's all sorts of devices in this film that feed into that like there's a lot of background noises like that clock you were talking about which are all over the film and by the three-quarter mark I saw like I stopped hearing it and you know, I almost felt like that noise no longer existed to me. And then every now and then I'd hear it and I'd go, oh my God, they've just been playing that for the last half an hour. Mm. Yeah, and it's not just William Defoe kind of gaslighting him in terms of saying, oh, you know, we've been here for weeks, like just a day. But also he's kind of gaslighting himself in making himself believe that he's still a good person, even though he essentially kind of murdered a guy and he like maybe brought on all this bad luck. And then obviously at the end he throws William Dafoe into a ditch and like covers well, him up and with they're dirt. literally drinking like <laughs> lamp oil like they're literally drinking like the gas and like the fuel that like oh, actually yeah. lights the lamp yeah. and like getting drunk off it and you know just going mental from that why'd you spill your beans <laughs> when he was saying that why I literally was laughing it was like spill your beans is not a scary phrase <laughs> <laughs> spill your beans and blow your beans are like you know like <laughs> <laughs> two very different things that yeah. both happen in this movie yeah true yeah <laughs> But um, yeah, no, I, I think what I quite like is you never quite know who to trust. Like, I feel like it's never explicitly said, but you kind of feel like Robert Pattinson is the protagonist when you're mm. watching this, because you see most of the film from his perspective, or at least you think you do. But then they have that conversation. I wonder if that's just us, though. I wonder if we, only we could do that. Because we're young, you mean? We relate more with yeah. him. Yeah. Well, I, I think he has more screen time, and you... I, I can't remember if there's a scene where it's just Willem Dafoe and where Robert Pattinson isn't there. There's one when he's writing in the logbook. I think that's the only one. Mm. Mm. Oh, and I guess you're the outsider as well. So yeah. That makes sense. So I think, but it's never explicitly said. There's no point where, you know, the film doesn't start off with Robert Pattinson and you kind of, you're with him at the beginning and you don't see his backstory and you don't, there's no kind of, there's no shots where it's over his shoulder where you're like, okay, we're, we're looking out of his eyes. It's, you know, mm. most of the time you're not quite yeah. sure. You're just observing but then you have those weird situations where they both disagree on how long we've been on the island or where Willem Dafoe's chasing him with an axe, but he says, no, you chased me with the axe. You don't know. You're never quite sure who's lying to who and who's actually... Well, that leads me to the question, was Willem Dafoe even real? Oh, shit. I think he was. Because <laughs> well, I was... When you're watching it, you just think he is. But then his name is Thomas. If Winslow or 
as it turns out, is actually called Thomas. The Robert Pattinson character was kind of dreaming and making someone up. It's realistic that his own guilt for potentially murdering this Winslow guy might have manifested itself in an old stereotypical seafaring type captain. It's not a super imaginative portrayal of an old person in a lighthouse. So you can imagine that's the sort of thing that a deranged mind might mm. conjure up. And he even admits that the guy that he let die, he took his name after he let him die. Mm. So that kind of almost leads you to think, oh, maybe, you know, he, he murdered Willem Dafoe maybe at some point in the past. And, you know, now he kind of oh. he's picturing him now. You know, his, his kind of spirit is kind of haunting him or, you know, he's kind of no, picturing no. that he's there. What do you mean, though? Well, I think there's, a, there's, I mean, there's no definitive answer, but I think there's a few ways you could read it. One is that the entire thing is a dream. Because at one point, Willem Dafoe says, oh, you're probably still out in the Canadian wilderness, just, you know, freezing to death. Of, mm. And, you know, this, is, this whole thing is just you kind of tormenting yourself. Oh, but that's kind of pointless. Well, I, I don't know. I think that's a, it's definitely a valid reading. Because then you can you interpret every part of, you know, a part of him kind of almost punishing himself or trying to, you know... But then do you see what I mean? Like, any story could be read as a dream because it's a story. And then I woke up. No, but... Yeah, like, you could... I could literally say that about any story ever. But you have to ask, why Why is he dreaming this? You could argue that the whole lighthouse thing is him trying to atone for all these things, you know, trying to come to terms with, you know, the fact that he let someone die and it was his fault and he just looked on and now he's kind of dreaming of this, like, isolated world where, you know... He he doesn't know who he is, and he doesn't know you know what this kind of light is at the top of the tower that he's not allowed to see, and why isn't he allowed to see it? Mm. Yeah, okay, I can I can kind of buy that. When I was thinking about it, obviously this is kind of turns out to be a bit of a horror film, but potentially where the light at the top of the lighthouse is the monster, because it only gets revealed right in the final scene, which is typical horror film etiquette. Um, and maybe mm. that light is sort of symbolic of the fact that the real monster in this film is the self-realisation that he is the monster, you know? Mm. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I didn't think I was buying a ticket to a horror film here. <laughs> I was so unprepared for how scary it got. I was actually like pretty shaken up by it in the end. It's creepy, even the bit when like the, there's just like a seagull like, stood in his path, you feel a bit unnerved and like, when he kills the seagull and he starts like you know battering it against like the rock and there's like blood everything oh god like you know what the hell is going to happen now but it's it's that psychological horror of you're never quite sure what's going on and he has these weird dreams like the dreams are kind of part of the the creepiest bit we're dreaming with like mermaid and kind of like it's covered in like barnacles and scales oh my god yeah weird tentacles that was the worst part (laughs) (laughs) and you see the bits and pieces of the mermaid which i don't think is something i can ever unsee no oh my god that was horrible (laughs) i had a slight i had a slight thought about it okay uh this might be like utter nonsense but i was trying to read deep into this because i knew i was going to do a podcast on it and so i thought maybe there's a comment in there somewhere about you know capitalism and driving rates of consumption or addiction or something the way that they like basically are getting drunk on this really strong liquor and then eventually they're just literally downing bottles of it and then they move on to the gas Mm. and stuff that kind of like commentary on addiction was something i was quite interested in Mm. it touches quite a lot on kind of masculinity and stuff as well i think a lot of the time they're at they're at odds and they're kind of, you know, they, they're always kind of, you know, jumping between an argument and a conversation. But there's one point where they get drunk and they're hugging each other and they're dancing together. And it looks like they're almost about to, like, kiss each other. Like, they're kind of, they're looking into each other's eyes and there's kind of a bit of a lull. 
and then suddenly like i think they both kind of almost wake up and they push each other away and start like you know kind of mm. like trying to fight each other it's almost like no no you know. yeah they literally have their first fight then i wasn't about to kiss you mate i wasn't mm. yeah yeah it's like you know these are like you know get our masculinity back we need to just you know beat each other up now i think they definitely don't know how to talk to each other and there's a reason why it was set in 1890 or 1890s because you know when he first tells the story about how he let this Winslow guy die um, and he says and then all I could think after that was I need a smoke back then men just couldn't talk about how they felt and they just had to kind of like bury it and maybe there's a link there to the whole consumption thing you were saying about Alex they just had to bury their emotions and then um, consume instead like drink loads or smoke loads and that's why the sailors as well when they're not working because they're so tortured by their thoughts they have to drink just to stop from the doldrums of the sections in between the work because that's when their mind is occupied by activity mm. and they kind of fall into these sort of gender roles there's a point where Robert Pattinson is like I'm not your bloody wife because you know he's having to do all the cleaning and all you know the work and stuff and you know mm. they do seem like a kind of bickering married couple at some point where <laughs> getting annoyed like, about each other's cooking <laughs> Yeah, there's a weird bit where he's like, you like my fried lobster, you do, say you do, I know you do. And he, <laughs> I loved that bit. He doesn't like his lobster, and then he goes into that like, massive rant of like, you know, let the gods of the sea rise up and drag you to the barn, and there'll be not left of you but barnacle and bilge. That was one of the best parts <laughs> of the whole film, I thought. Yeah. It's the only bit of comedic relief as well, because, you know, like there is a little bit of a quip at the end of that long speech. Yeah. Mm, I thought uh, as well... The, the big driving force in the film is a real slow slide into craziness. Mm. And by the end, you really respect this factor of craziness that people don't often see. It's that's like every iota of the way to crazy is normal. You know, every little tiny step that you take feels normal. Mm. And then you turn around and suddenly you're crazy. And I thought it was interesting that they showed Willem Dafoe to be crazy really near the beginning of the film because they have that bit where he's sat in the lighthouse and he seems pretty crazy at that point. <laughs> and then at the end of the film, you realise that was quite a stable version of Willem Dafoe in this film. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was thinking, I wonder whether there's something there about like the contrasts between sanity and then complete lunacy. And like you say, Alex, it's sort of a gradual journey on your way there. But if you were just to see the beginning or to see the end with nothing in between it's crazily different and there's kind of imagery to support that like right at the beginning when the bo you see the boat from far away as they're arriving and it looks kind of beautiful and calm and then the next shot immediately cuts to like the sea underneath the boat like crashing the waves and stuff yeah it's and in it's rhythm like, with the music as well like the boom, boom yeah and it's boom. like that contrast between something looking really beautiful far away and then as soon as you get up close to it it's ugly and intense and mm. it's too much yeah. i love that opening oh. shot by the way I don't know if it was CGI or, or how they did it, but that opening shot where it's just fog and then bit by bit the fog slowly clears and you can just make out the lighthouse in the distance and it mm. just becomes more and more clear and there's like the flashing light and stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know how they did it, but that is such a great, great opener. And if you look as well at the beginning, the first few shots of the two guys, there's always a there's something between them. There's like, in the opening shot, they're on a boat. But there's like a rope, a vertical rope that's just cutting, you know, the, the frame in half and they're on either side of the frame. And when they first go into their bedroom, there's this big column in the middle of their bedroom that separates them and then one's on the left and one's on the right there's quite a few shots near the beginning where they're just on either side of the frame there's just a line between them mm. maybe that comes back to the whole not being able to talk about how they feel and stuff because yeah. they're so estranged at that point. and they're not talking to each other right at the beginning you know the film doesn't start with those two on the boat chatting so oh, you know how did you get into this job they're just stood rigid they're not even looking at each other they're not talking straight away you think you can kind of tell there's a bit of a rift between these two men 
they don't even really speak to each other until they're drunk. Yeah. <laughs> or when they're eating. It's just when they're having kind of meals or like, you know, when they're kind of just moaning at each other. Or like you say, when they're drunk. And uh, I like the, it just feels claustrophobic. Like the fact that it's kind of almost one for one aspect ratio. So it's kind of just a square screen and they're really kind of cramped into the shot. Like the shots where they're at the dinner table and there's, there's you know, they're being shot from the side and underneath the dinner table, it's just completely black. So it's just a tiny bit of screen where you can just see a small like, kind of letterbox of these two just sat at the table. And you just feel really penned in, which is kind of, you know, how they feel as well, which I think is a really nice little touch. Mm. Yeah, and um, I think the more surreal the film got, the the more engaging it was as well. I mean, the whole film's very absorbing. Like, you kind of just lose yourself in it. I was meant to get up and make myself some dinner at some point during it, and I just didn't. I just watched the whole thing. But... The final act, I would say, like the final third, where shit really just gets completely crazy, is so imaginative. It's like you're literally watching a dream in front of you. It's really crazy. Yeah, and you have no idea where it's going to go next. But scary. (laughs) (laughs) There's obviously a really strong theme of superstition in this film. Yeah, well, like the seagulls don't kill a seagull because it's got like, you know, a sailor's soul in it. Mm. I saw. I read one thing online where they were talking about how the the two guys are supposed to represent two different Greek gods. Well, that makes sense. Oh, and you see that bit. He's supposed to be Proteus, but he could be Poseidon as well. He's supposed to be this kind of god of the sea. Yes, he's like yes, this old yes. cantankerous guy who he's got all the secrets of the sea, but he doesn't want to give it to anyone. And Robert Pattinson is supposed to be Prometheus, the guy who gave fire to humans. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Genuinely, uh, th- I, at the end of the film, I was like, you know, I think Robert Pattinson was Prometheus because mm. you know the bit where he's having his guts pecked yeah, out yeah, by yeah. the seagulls. That's exactly how Prometheus dies every yeah, day. Yeah, exactly. The, um, he, he gets his liver eaten or something by a, a bird, doesn't he? And that's apparently that was the inspiration for that final shot where he's lying there and his eyes are being pecked out and he's kind of naked. Apparently, there's a really famous painting of Prometheus which inspired them, where he's kind of in the same position, where it's kind of one of those old things where it's like a just a naked guy and there's a kind of bird sort of pecking him and there's kind of like bizarre like visuals behind him. There's another painting in the film as well when the um, when he's having that, that sort of, I don't know, dreamlike sequence where he flips himself over. He th- You think it's going to be yeah. Willem Dafoe's dead body, but he actually turns himself over and then Willem Dafoe's right behind him and he does that weird glowy eye thing. That's another famous painting, mm. I think. Yeah, it looks like it, doesn't it, with that kind of weird kind of like positioning of them kind of like these kind of sort of muscular figures like kind of like contorted and like twisted it's kind of you see that a lot in old, old paintings and i like that they try and replicate that here mm. yeah i think that's an interesting reading though of, of those two as kind of these ancient greek gods and the the light in the lighthouse is supposed to represent some kind of knowledge that one of them's keeping hidden away and the other one's just desperate to, to see it mm, it's such a bonkers film you could read it in a lot of different ways <laughs> yeah well because another reading i had was about Rob, uh, Robert Pattinson's Winslow, he's kind of under the thumb of the world, essentially. Mm. He's like as low as you can get, just doing all the drudge work, having to move around. He's got a criminal record, so he had to let a man die so he could steal his name. And basically, hard work gets him nowhere because even when he works really hard, William Defoe calls him out on it and says, oh, you'll have to stay in here and stuff, calling him lazy. So the only way that he can take back the power is through violence, whether that's killing a man to take his name or at the end when he makes Thomas succumb to him by putting him on a leash and then Mm. burying him in the dirt and stuff. Mm. Those people who were just the scourge of society and just right at the bottom and people thought that they could just do whatever they wanted with them and they were like a commodity, kind of related to the consumption thing earlier again actually, 
those people could rise up through violence if they were pushed far enough. Because mm. it's really sad when he says that he found the logbook and he was going to be, um, he recommended severance without pay. Yeah. Even though he, you'd mm. seen him working really hard. Yeah. And at the beginning, he was like rejecting drink and stuff like that. But then it's like the gaslighting thing again, where you think, well, was he really a good worker or did we just think that because we saw it more from his was perspective? His yeah. So, uh, should we move on to rating? Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this film's kind of unrateable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you're going to have to do it anyway. <laughs> I think that. It was bizarre, but in all the right ways. Like, I think sometimes you can just make a weird film. I've seen a lot of weird films where it's just kind of weird for the sake of being weird. And it's got kind of kind of interesting visuals, like, you know, weird stuff going on and people's faces falling off or melting or giant sperm falling out of the sky or God knows what. And at the end, you just think, it's just kind of weird. Like, it hasn't really left any impression on me. But I think this one, it was weird, but in in a controlled way and... It, it kind of, you know, it was making me ask a lot of interesting questions of, you know, what it meant. And there's a lot of different readings and all of them are quite interesting. Yeah. And the rating. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm going to give it a nine. I think it, it was it was very close in my mind for, to being perfect. But I, I just really loved it. I thought it looked gorgeous. It was like halfway between a, a silent film and a, a theatre play. And it, it was just gorgeous it was interesting it was bizarre it was mad it was hypnotic yeah i'll give that a nine damn what you guys <laughs> beat that oh man there's only one number bigger than nine <laughs> that's in the 10 rating system <laughs> well okay so this isn't my kind of film i would say uh i'm not really into films that are so bizarre that you can read them a million different ways because i often feel like you know i <sighs> Although I really enjoyed this film, I didn't really feel like I got any new perspective out of it. Like, I I feel like even though you can read it a lot of different ways, I would prefer that there was one definitive way to read it that was surprising and new to me. So I gotta say that um, purely by virtue of the fact that it was so beautiful and it was, you know, a real experience, I might you know, I could imagine maybe watching it again as well just to pick up anything that I didn't see. So I would probably have to give it like a a seven. Okay. I think for me, films which have lots of symbolism in them and themes and stuff like that, that's my bread and butter. I love that sort of thing. (laughs) And like watching it and writing essays about it and thinking about it. But I think the films that I prefer are the ones which have that, but then also a bit more talky and have a lot of dialogue in them. So that's kind of holding me back with this a little bit. And also that first section, which was quite slow, I didn't dislike it, but it also, it didn't draw me in and intrigue me like the beginnings of some other great films. But then again, it was something really different and I have thought about it a lot since I watched it. So I'm probably going to give it like a seven and a half because I'm really glad I watched it and I have enjoyed thinking about it over the last sort of day or so but I don't think I'd ever watch it again and I wouldn't oh, necessarily really? implore someone to watch it. Really? Oh, man. I, I actually think, honestly, it's a film that I watch quite a lot of times. Like, I really... I don't oh know. God. I look forward to that then. <laughs> <laughs> I was quite surprised how wide a release it got. Like, uh, when I watched it, it was like, really? This film has been seen by so many people? <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe it's because I'm coming off... I've watched quite a lot of David Lynch films recently and his are just so weird. Like, beyond this one by far, like, so impossible to understand and bizarre. Like, this actually felt 
quite normal by comparison. Your your bar for weirdness is yeah. a lot higher. Yeah, exactly. Now. It's been pushed. Like, you've <laughs> really put me off David Lynch there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you didn't like this, I would definitely do not watch any of his films. No, well, I did like it. I mean, a seven out of ten to me is like a very good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, if anyone wanted to get in touch with us to tell us their thoughts about the lighthouse or to get in touch with an overrated film, how would they do that? Uh, well, they can email us at filmclubrules at gmail dot com. Or you can uh, like our pictures and send us messages on at Film Club Rules on Instagram. So tune in next time to hear about the generally popular and critically acclaimed films that we hate and that you hate. Um, so until then, bye. 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 <laughs>